Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're talking elections. Again. (laughs) Why? Because several local races are headed to runoffs in December. And what's a runoff election? Well, runoffs happen when no single candidate gets more than 50% of the vote in the general election, which, as you all remember, happened on November 8th. So, which races are going to a runoff? Basically, all of the ones that didn't have an incumbent running. That is, the races where no one was running for re-election, and it was a completely new slate of candidates. So, that includes city council elections in districts 3, 5, and 9, as well as the mayor's race. And this episode is going to focus on districts 5 and 9. If you're looking for District 3 or the mayor's race, we actually already published a runoff episode for those races, and you can find that on our podcast feed. Anyway, back to our little runoffs explainer. Um, What does all of this mean for you? Well, for starters, it means that you're going to have to head back to the polls pretty soon. Because even if you don't live in a council district with a runoff, everyone who's registered to vote within Austin city limits gets to vote in the mayoral runoff. And early voting for the runoffs lasts from December 1st through December 9th, and election day is December 13th. And I know that going right back to the polls again can feel a bit overwhelming, but participating in this election is super important. Uh, First of all, it's going to completely reshape our council. After the runoffs are over, we're going to have three new council members and a mayor. And considering the fact that Austin City Council only has 11 members, including the mayor, that's a pretty big shift. And second of all, turnout in runoff elections tends to be low, like really, really, really low. And it's not uncommon for local runoff elections to be decided by just a few dozen votes. Take the 2014 city council runoff elections, for example. In District 8, Ellen Troxclair beat Edward Scruggs by only 56 votes. And in that same year in District 6, Don Zimmerman beat Jimmy Flanagan by only 191 votes. In other words, when it comes to elections, your voice always matters. But when it comes to a runoff, it really, really, really matters. Okay, so now that I've got you excited, let's get to the substance of today's show. We've gone back through all the interviews we did for the general city council elections and re-edited them, so you can just listen to the interviews with the candidates who actually made it to the runoff. So first up, we've got the runoff in the Austin City Council District 5 race between Ryan Alter and Stephanie Bazan. Ryan Alter and Stephanie Bazan were the two highest vote-getters in the general election, with Ryan Alter receiving 24.2% of the vote, and Stephanie Bazan getting 29.3%. So let's go ahead and listen back to the interviews I recorded with Ryan and Stephanie. First up, Ryan Alter. All right. Well, hello. Hello. This is Atticus. Hi. (laughs) This is Aurora, my daughter. She's almost three. Atticus is one. And Pretty good are, show and tell you got there. <laughs> that's right. They are my show and tell. So, oh, and now he's definitely done with it. So yeah, was, I'm impressed they lasted this long. <laughs> and out. All right, here, let me go drop them. One second. Yeah, go for it. All right. She really wanted to do the interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard a why. <laughs> right. Anyways, well, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, let's go ahead and, and get right into it. Thank you let's for being it. flexible on the time. Yeah. Um, okay. 
All right. So we started with show and tell, and I, I have a feeling that it's going to lead into my first question, which is who are you and, and why are you running? Absolutely. Yes. So I, I am Ryan Alter. I'm running for Austin City Council District 5, uh, really just running because I feel like Austin is on an unsustainable path right now. And, and like I, you know, for my show and tell, I have two young kids and I was born and raised here. And, you know, we're raising our kids here, but I want to make sure that Austin is a place where they can grow up with other people's families can, can have a, a family and an Austin experience. Uh, but we just see more and more that people are being pushed out and it's not a city uh, that is open and welcoming for everybody. And so I have spent my career in public service. I, after law school, went to work for Senator Watson at the legislature and Worked with him for a long time till he retired. And now I'm the general counsel for Senator Hinojosa. And, you know, we fight for progressive values every day, voting rights, reproductive rights, uh, our environment, quality schools. There is just a lot we can do. And so that's why I'm running. Yeah, that's it's who I am. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, you have that that state experience because Austin City Council, you know, historically butts heads with the state a lot. And it can sometimes be a real hindrance to some of the policies the city's trying to work through. Do you feel like your state experience can can bring some value to city council? Absolutely. So I think the biggest value it brings that as a Democratic office, you can't pass anything in the legislature without building consensus, without getting Republican support. And so I have spent my career learning how to take policies and really work both the consensus building, the, the stakeholder process, but then also you have to really master the process. Uh, people often, you know, have a great idea, but if you don't understand the process, that is involved to get something enacted and ultimately uh, put into place by the administrative side of things, then it's just an idea. And so I think it absolutely is, is key and, and very helpful for what I want to do. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive a little into the issues here. You talked about Austin, Austin of the future and Austin being a place where not all families are able to, to grow up. Um, I assume obviously that that's boiling down to housing. What do you feel like we can be doing and our city council can be doing differently that we it hasn't achieved yet that uh, would make housing more affordable in our city? So many things. Uh, it's there, the kind of the global theme, if you look at our housing policies, is that all our policies and all our processes only incentivize building large, expensive single family homes. We make it incredibly limited where you can build anything that's not a single family home. And in the rare instance where you can, we make the process so expensive and so onerous that people just decide, well, I can make the same return by building that $3 million mansion. That's what I'm gonna do. And so what I wanna see us do and what I am prepared to do is create a housing plan where you have opportunity for everyone everywhere. You know, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about affordable housing and the need for affordability, but separate from my legislative work, my sister and I started a small family business that actually built housing here in Austin that was attainable, that was underneath, or that was less than the median family income. So I've done it. I've, I've, I have actually delivered 
uh, for austenites. And, and so we need to make it so that it's not just in the edges. You're going to hear everyone say along the corridors, and that's great, but there are only so many corridors. We need housing everywhere. And, and that's what I think is unique to me and my campaign. Yeah. And, and on council, do you feel like this is the kind of thing that you would prioritize and push? I mean, a big, a big issue, I think, with our land development code and housing policy is this something that you, as you mentioned, council members talk about, but like not a ton of progress pushes through council. Yeah. You know, what, what would your approach be to trying to, to move the needle? So it would be, it, it's my top priority. It, okay. I would be laser focused on it and dedicate myself to it every day. But what I kind of see is a, a two-step approach. I have concrete plans of things that we can do immediately that as a city and through our administrative side and some of our policies, we can enact and get going within a month or two and really start changing how development gets done. And, and like I said, um, make that incentive so that people want to build something that's not just that expensive single family home and instead build more multi-unit that is more affordable for more people. Uh, and then I do have some big plans as well that are going to take a little more time, but that we have to start on day one, working with stakeholders, talking to various you know, neighborhoods and other um, groups within Austin and just start building that consensus and, and get everybody behind our vision, which is to make Austin a place where everyone can live. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about homelessness as well. Another key issue in, in Austin. How, how do you feel like city council has handled this issue so far and, and what would you like to see done differently or done more of, or the same into yeah. the future? Yeah. So I think the biggest frustration with how the city has handled homelessness is just the response hasn't been robust enough. It hasn't met the need that we have. You know, you look at our initiatives and we are only serving a few hundred people a year uh, in terms of getting them to housing, but we have thousands of people uh, who are in need. And and sadly, you had uh, the HEAL initiative, which came from District 5, Mm -hmm. council member and was held up as a bright, you know, the bright, shining example of what we should be doing. And just this week, we find out that half the people are exiting that program uh, no better than they started. And so what I want to do is really have a robust response that that meets the level of need and employs things that we see are working. So Esperanza community is a place where you have individuals are able to go and receive a lot of the services that they need that help stabilize their lives. And that's exactly what I want to see. I I call them stabilization hubs, but find some sites around town where individuals can go and have a safe place to live, get physical, mental health, including substance use treatment, uh, transportation, sanitation, caseworking, all the things that serve as that stabilization force and then is the bridge to the housing that we are building, but that's gonna take some years. And lastly, just real fast, I think it's really important to not lose in this conversation, the prevention side of things. It is Mm -hmm. the cheapest, most effective way to address this crisis. And we need to do more in terms of either targeted rental assistance, or we've even seen some good uh, results from a pilot program that provided attorney representation to those facing eviction. Smart things like that can help prevent someone becoming unhoused altogether. Yeah. 
Um, I want to touch briefly on another thing I saw on your website that I thought was unique, which was talking about um, basic government systems and trying to make city council more approachable, accessible. Obviously, that's interesting to me. I'm curious, what do you mean by that? What would you like to see in the way city council is run? Yeah, you know, I joke with people that I never thought before this campaign I would ever brag about state government, but man, it's doing a better job than our city government. And, and that's just, that's kind of sad, to be honest. When it comes to what? When it comes to um, interacting. So like, let's say you, you want, you, let's say you have a problem and you need to figure out who to talk to. It is next to impossible to figure out on the city website, who do I talk to to fix this problem? And then trying to actually talk to that person or get a meeting. I heard from someone the other day that they requested a meeting with somebody who's about a a development issue. And the person responded and said, I'm sorry, I think meetings are a thing of the past. We, we cannot have a government that works for the people if it's not willing to actually work for the people. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so you also see that in terms of just cross-departmental communication. I dealt with a department the other day, I had an issue and they said, I'm sorry, that's actually uh, something that we can't fix. You need to go talk to this other department. And I went and talked to them and they said, well, actually that, that's not us. You need to go back and talk to the first part. And instead of being able to say, hey, let's talk to each other and figure out how to solve this problem, you don't have that. And so if council wants to actually solve these problems, we, can't, we can pass policies all day long, but if the actual government that is enacting those policies isn't functioning, then those, those enactments, those policies are, are no better than the paper they're written on. So. As someone who has worked in government for a long time, I know the importance of having that administrative side of things actually function and, and deliver for people. And, and that's what I want to see us do. Yeah. Um, okay, so we talked on a few of your priorities there. Um, just before we end, any last, you want to maybe mention one more priority that would be key for you, if you were elected? Yeah, the environment. It's, I think you know, we have got to treat climate change like the crisis that it is, you know, my generation is going to feel the brunt of this more so than, you know, others who are currently on council. Um, and so our generation, you know, needs to have this voice at the table when we are making decisions, but especially when it comes to the climate and, and not just setting all these goals that we then fail to meet. We have set so many goals mm -hmm. that a year or two later we say, we're, we're not on track. And, and that is just not cutting it. We have got to set goals and targets that are non-negotiable and make every decision uh, with the thought of how is this going to affect the climate? And are we doing enough to really get to where we need to go? And sadly, it's the city can't, the city of Austin can't solve it by itself, but we are a part of the larger picture and we've got to do more. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for reaching out and having me. And that was Ryan Alter. Next up, let's listen in on an interview I recorded with Stephanie Bazan. I am here with Stephanie and we are uh, talking about city council elections. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I thought we could just kick it off real quick I'm sure you've done this a million times by now. Who are you? Why are you running? Um, a little bit also maybe about your your uh, your personal background, your experience that you're bringing to the table. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Um, I'm beaming from ear to ear just to be a part of this. Um, thank you so much for the work that you do to help bring clarity and communication to Austinites around what's happening um, in their town. I am a mom. I'm a Tejana. I'm a native Austinite who grew up in South Austin in the area that I am running to represent. I'm also part of the Lamone family in Austin. And so if you've heard of our family, service is definitely part of our roots. I am a proven community leader. I have worked in education and healthcare, and law and homeless services, um, all tying back to communications. And so I feel like the depth and breadth of my experience is going to prove um, to help a lot in, in coming into this, this office. I'm a graduate of St. Edward's University, so I'm a hilltopper, and I'm also a proud Longhorn. I went to the LBJ Women's Campaign School at the University of Texas. And I have my master's degree from Leeds University abroad. And so being away from Austin helped me realize um, even more why I loved my hometown and why I wanted to continue to fight for it. I love this city. I love Austin, Texas. It's a great place to live, work, and play. But that's not the story for everybody, and that's why I'm running. I'm running because affordability is a top concern for Austinites, and it's really important for me that my neighbors are able to stay here and thrive, not just work to survive. We're seeing that our small businesses are, are struggling, our homeowners are hurting, our renters are being crushed, and seniors who just simply want to stay in town are having a hard time doing that. I'm also running because I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I think that representation matters. I want them to be able to see themselves in the future of Austin. So, yeah, let's 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 dive a little into some of those topics you touched on. Um, yeah. One that stood out for me when I was looking through your website and reading more about you is um, small business. So you have spent a lot of years working with the Hispanic Chamber here in town, and really seem to emphasize trying to figure out what can we do to help support our small business community here in Austin. And so, you know, if you're elected, what kind of things do you feel like the city could be doing differently that we're not already doing in order to support that that thriving small business community? Yeah, that's a great question. I have a lot of small business owners in my family and, you know, we have a business in D5, Crema, that just had to shut down this last week because of affordability issues. So certainly I think one of the first things we can do is make sure that those small business owners have a seat at the table, whether we're looking at boards or commissions or if we're doing focus groups around certain things. Um, I feel like sometimes People come in with policies and ideas and they're ready to move things forward without talking to the folks who are really involved in those areas. And so I really feel like that's the start is bringing the people who live it every day um, to the table when we're making decisions that affect them. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it kind of, I feel like the small business um, issues are really tied to our affordability issues in general as well. Um, you know, I saw on your website that you wrote, I don't want to get rid of what people love about their neighborhoods. I want to purposefully enhance our neighborhoods, ensure we are welcoming and make sure that people who live here can afford to stay. Um, you know, this has been a huge issue in Austin for years and years is trying to figure out how to balance like bringing in new housing and also not destroying neighborhoods. Um, but we've really stalled here, you know, like you, what, what can we actually, actually do? You know, I feel like I hear a lot of candidates talk about these things, but what can we, what can we do to move forward in some direction? Yeah, that is a great question. I think for homeowners, especially one of the things we can do is help streamline the permitting process. Um, it takes entirely too long 
for them to be able to push things through. And so with every day, the cost increases. Um, and it's also very frustrating and sometimes projects go undone. Um, and so that's one of the things we can do there. As far as new builds, we need a diversity of housing across the city um, so that more people can afford to rent or buy. I have a neighbor who lives across the street. They're great neighbors. They've been there for five years and they've been looking to, to get a home and they can not find a place in Austin that they can afford to purchase. And this is where they wanna be. Um, sure, we've got other great cities nearby, but they don't wanna be in those cities. They wanna be in Austin, Texas. And so we need to look at our code and see what ways we're able to help build more quickly. Um, we are well behind and we need to we need to adjust. And the quickest way to do that is to look at uh, possibilities for urban infill. Um, obviously, lots of us are talking about building on the transit corridors, uh, but there's other spots in town where, you know, people want to live and we shouldn't, we shouldn't continue to be exclusionary. Austin's urban planning was deliberately founded in exclusionary zoning, and we need rules that people can understand, and we need to be able to build with certainty and build a city that we want for our future and not just do these ticky tacky you know, things here and there right now, single family building is the only thing that we can do and that's super expensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of ties to, to Project Connect in a lot of ways you talked about the transit corridors. That seems to be like one area where there's a pretty good agreement across city council currently about uh, trying to build along transit. And, and you, I saw on your website, you talk a lot about trying to have equitable transit development. And this is, I think a big back and forth too, is we're, we're working on Project Connect. We're gonna have these new transit lines. How do we make sure that um, families can still afford to live in the area when the property values rise? Now, as a city, we have put aside $300 million to help with that, but I think it's gonna take more than just that $300 million. Probably some policy is gonna to have to go in place to support that. What, what do you see um, as the real need there as we're developing Project Connect and housing and, and figure out how to do that in a way that's equitable? Yeah, we definitely need to look at the the people who are already living nearby because when we when we um, make things better, often we push people out, um, and so we need to make sure that we're putting some effort towards uh, making sure that folks who are already there can stay there. When we build along these transit hubs, as you said, we also need to make sure that people can get to that transportation. So, you know that that mile to and from a home to the you know metro line or a bus is a really critical mile um, because if it is too difficult whether there's not good shaded sidewalks or there aren't micro mobility options once people you know get off a train or um or a bus um, then we're not making it inclusive and it's actually not usable and so if we're putting so much money into that into project connect we need to make sure that it's essentially connected to the other areas, you know, once they get off of that trans transit, so. Yeah, and, and when we're talking about, you know, thinking about housing, these kind of things too, homelessness obviously is a big concern here in Austin. Um, I'm pretty sure, did you used to work at LifeWorks? So you have some experience, yeah, in that area too, you know, 
Um, I saw on your website also you're talking about housing first policies. This is an area I would say in interviewing the other candidates in District 5, there's some disagreement on. Not everyone um, seems supportive of the idea of housing first. Can you talk about what housing first means and kind of why you support that approach? Absolutely. I think the best illustration that I've heard about housing first is if somebody is drowning, you don't take a boat out there and ask them to fill out a bunch of paperwork while they're trying to, to survive and get out of the water. You pull them into the boat, bring them to shore, get them what they need, and then they can work on the paperwork. Um, and so that's what I what I think of when I think of housing first, we need to increase the pace of units for our unhoused neighbors, um, get them somewhere where they feel secure, and then we can work on the wraparound services uh, for other things that we need. And so we really need to encourage those things for our most vulnerable population. They're in a trauma situation. Um, and I don't think that anybody can function in a situation where you're feeling unstable, you're not sure where you're gonna lay your head head at night. Um, so that's why housing first is so important to me. I also think that we need to look at people who are on the brink of being unhoused because we certainly don't want people who are, you know, working really hard um, to to have some sort of situation where they're suddenly from the home onto the streets. And then I think the other thing that sometimes people forget is that people experiencing homelessness look different. It's not the stereotype that we necessarily have in our minds. Um, it could be a mom who has a, a, a child and they're living in a car and they need a place to be. Yeah. Um, and before we close, I want to um, have a chance to show yourself, you know, let us introduce you and learn a little bit more about you. Um, I asked some of the candidates to do a little show and tell. So what's our what's your item that you brought for us today? Yeah. So the item I brought, I know everybody can't see it, but it's my teddy. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at what looks like a pretty well-loved teddy bear, I would say. Yeah, he's pretty, pretty, I mean, the fur is pretty flat. Um, <laughs> my first, this was my first show and tell ever when I was in kindergarten at St. Elmo. So I grew up in South Austin, like I said, I went to St. Elmo Elementary and I brought Teddy with me so much that he was sort of, you know, I was asked to bring a different show and tell because people got bored of my you know, talking about Teddy, but Teddy does represent a lot. Teddy represents, um, you know, my mom teaching me how to read before I was in kindergarten, which I believe gave me a leg up um, when I'm looking at other people who didn't come out of poverty and didn't come out of, you know, the situations that I was in. Um, Teddy also represents my dad, who's a super hard worker and taught me, you know, to keep going. And then um, I'm getting emotional, but Teddy represents the little girl who didn't think that she could ever run for city council. So well, thank you so much. That's that's a wonderful show and tell. And I really appreciate you taking the time to tell us a little bit about yourself and your campaign today. Thank you so much. I just want to leave by saying that I really feel like my community um, roots and the relationships that I built are what are different about me and what's going to help me champion policy and put it across the finish line. Um, and the fight that I have in my belly for those two little kids that I talked about earlier is the same fight that I'm taking to City Hall for, for my community, for the city of Austin. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I appreciate this. And that was Stephanie Bazan. Now we're going to shift gears a bit and focus on the District 9 City Council runoff race. And that's going to be between Zoheb Zokadri and Linda Guerrero. In the November election, 
Zoe had 30.3% of the vote, and Linda had 22.4%. Oh, and P.S., this is one of the more contentious council elections this year. As the two candidates have pretty different opinions on the way Austin should be dealing with growth and housing affordability. And these differences could really shape council's approach to these issues in the coming years, so definitely something to keep in mind as you're listening to these interviews. Okay, let's get right to it. First up, Zoheb Zopadri. All right, I am here with Zoe. We're talking city council. Let's just dive right in. Who are you? Why are you running? Yeah, my name is Zoheb Zopadri, uh, running for Austin City Council District 9. Um, I'm running out of a deep sense of, of, of service with empathy. Uh, you know, when I first started school at UT here um, in, in Austin, I was a bio pre-med student. I saw my parents in medicine as immigrants to this country, and that's how they kind of give back to their community. Uh, and truthfully, that's what I, that's what I thought my uh, path was going to be. But when I first moved to Austin, uh, the one thing that I noticed in this city was our unhoused population, right? Folks suffering on the streets, and I couldn't make sense of it as a, you know, as a teenager or someone new to the big city. Uh, because where my family's from, we see a lot of unhoused folks in, in Pakistan on the streets. There's so much corruption and so much poverty in those uh, in, in that country. Uh, but I couldn't make sense out in a, in a city, in a, in a state, in a country so wealthy, you know, as Austin, as Texas, as the United States is, is how are people suffering? How are, how are people dying? Um, so that made me kind of pivot in the work that I, I wanted to do. So I was no longer a bio-pre-med student kind of after that. Uh, and I and, and I knew I wanted to go into some sort of public service, uh, and I thought that was through government. Uh, and I and I have worked in city governments in the past. I've done work at the Capitol, and I've done a lot of advocacy work. But why I'm specifically running is because, um, you know, I, I think we saw during the pandemic, the winter storm, just this general lack of equity that we see in Austin, right? The Austin experience, the Austin label of being a liberal or progressive or forward-thinking city doesn't always run true, depending on what part of the city you're in. Uh, depending on you know where you're from or what you look like, and I don't think that should be the case. I think Austin uh, is a beautiful city, and it should work for everyone. And I think we need to tackle uh, our housing crisis, or uh, this lack of equitable transit, the climate crisis that is, is creeping everywhere uh, you go in this country, in this world. Uh, but also just fight for general equity, uh, making sure that everyone has a seat at the table, that everyone's voice is heard, regardless of how long they've been in this city, whether they were born in this city, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about homelessness first, since you mentioned it as kind of like a catalyst for you. Um, how how do you feel like the city has responded to homelessness so far, and what do you feel like we could be doing differently in the future? And and I wonder if your experience too working at different in different cities, and I know you've worked on some campaigns all over mm-hmm. the country as well. Like, have you seen other people respond to other cities respond to this better than us? Like, what kind of lessons learned do you do you have going into this? Yeah, the question kind of, kind of different, different. Yeah, places. a bunch of avenues. Yeah, bunch of questions. Um, so I, you know, I commend the city on the work they've done, but I, I always, I'm, I'm of the mindset more should more needs to be done and should be done. I think as a city, as a society, you're judged on how you treat your most vulnerable populations, and in that case, I think we've we've failed. Um, I, I personally think it starts off with the housing first approach, right? Because you have these unhoused folks who with the passing of Prop V didn't help their livelihood. And if, if you allow folks to publicly camp, I don't, I don't think anyone would say that's a, a just and moral. 
I think getting these folks into housing is, is extremely important. And from there, kind of attacking the different vices that might be affecting them, whether it be uh, substance abuse or mental health illness, like making sure that they're taken care of. I almost feel like there's a third group of unhoused folks in, in Austin, and that's the working poor. So it's folks who might be working in an HEB or a Walgreens, and just because of the housing crisis in the city, they're unable to you know, properly live in the city. They might be camped out in the woods in their car or in a tent, and, and, I, and I've met folks like that. So I think there's just so many different uh, you know, situations going on with our unhoused population, and we need to approach each one in you know, the unique state that it is. Uh, in terms of what I've seen while I've worked at other city governments, so I, I worked at the city of Kyle, but I didn't—I truthfully didn't deal with home when I was there, and I also was at the city of Houston, but I also truthfully didn't deal with there. I know the city of Houston's done a lot of great stuff, but specifically in terms of my experience, when I worked at the Texas Capitol, I, I worked a lot with the Texas Homeless Network. Uh, mm. I got to talk with a lot of really smart, brilliant people, and I think there's things that are being done in other cities, uh, not even in Texas, but... Uh, cities like Miami and Chicago, examples I heard there were how they built housing on top of libraries because a lot of unhoused folks already frequent libraries and then also so allowed allowing those folks to, to live there, um, but then also providing mental health and substance abuse um, um, options at, 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 at those libraries and then allowing those folks to use the library's resources uh, to apply for jobs. Uh, to study for a GRE, uh, sorry, a GED, or you know whatever it may be in that in that scenario, uh, but also allowing folks to, to then work in the library and then make some sort of income. So you know, Austin's such a beautiful place with so many creatives and so many um, really bright people that just kind of always think outside of the box. So I, I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that if we if we come together, we can think of some creative way to uh, take care of our unhoused population. Yeah, um, I want to shift a little bit to talk about just affordable housing in general. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, there's been a lot of conversation around our land development code and if we're building enough. And um, I wonder, you know, it's, I guess we'll just start like at the beginning, which is what is your general approach to housing affordability if you were elected? You know, what kind of uh, policies and priorities would you really want to focus on? Yeah, I mean, you know, just from a, the human aspect, I, I think Austin's, you know, such a such a beautiful place. I've, I've lived, you know, I'm the kid of immigrants. I've, uh, you know, I was born in New Jersey. I lived in New York, but then I've been in Texas for the past 20 years, Austin for the past 13. And like, <clears throat> sorry, and I can say Austin is so uniquely uh, different and, and special because of how Austinites kind of come together and, and form this community. You know, Austinites who have made me feel you know, I've never felt like I was lacking or, or I was, an, you know, othered being in this community. And, and, it, and it says a lot about the people that make Austin what it is. And I think making sure that we keep people in this city is really important. So my general approach to, to housing, uh, I mean, I guess from, from a bigger picture, we need to look at a rewrite of our land development code. Uh, it's, it's been what it is since 1984. Uh, and it's truthfully leaving a lot of people behind and pushing a lot of people uh, outside of the city, people who who make Austin the beautiful and unique city it is, people who who give so much to Austin, whether it be our teachers or musicians, or firefighters or EMS workers or students. But I think on the uh, um, you know in, in the short term, I, I think it's looking at you know building uh, you know I mean building off of the city's uh, affordability unlock program, the VMU two. Uh, looking at uh, building more 
um, you know, duplexes and fourplexes, giving more autonomy to homeowners and, and allowing them to build ADUs. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're in a housing crisis. We need more housing, but specifically we need more affordable housing um, because we're losing a lot of really great folks. And I think there's so many, you know, going back to my answer about uh, homelessness, I think there's so many really bright, creative folks in the city that I think we can do creative things to, to approach that situation. I mean, one thing uh, that I've, I've talked to when I've, I've talked to folks, um, you know, teachers and, and folks at school boards, uh, is building housing on on these school properties um, for our teachers and, and you know making sure that they don't have to either commute from afar or have to live in situations that they would rather not live in. Um, so I, I I think we need to really tackle it. I, I think the next four years are going to be vital. I don't pretend everything's going to be solved magically in in four years, uh, but I do think we're at a we're at a point where we need to start getting you know, all, everything on track. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so we talked about housing and homelessness. What's another key priority for you that if you were elected, you would really want to spend a lot of your time and energy focusing on? Yeah, I mean, I think everything that the two points you mentioned about to say, everything also just ties to this general lack of equity. And I would say, you know, transit, you know, I'm a big fan of Project Connect. I think we need more transit in the city, whether it be, our, you know, bus routes or, or rail, um, but I also want to see more equitable, equitable transit. Uh, and I think as a District 9 member, I, I will you know, always advocate for my community, but I, I think it's important to uplift voices in communities that might not have a voice or might not, or might need a second voice to come in truthfully. And there's a lot of folks uh, you know, on the east side, a lot of folks that live in um, neglected neighborhoods truthfully, um, a lot of folks who live in you know, certain communities of color uh, where there is an equitable transit, you know, there aren't bus routes, there aren't, uh, the rail doesn't go through them, right? And you have people who might not have, a, a, you know, mode of transportation. Uh, and, you know, that affects everything, when, you know, when it comes to their work, you know, their school, where their kid goes to school, how their kid goes to school and back. Um, and a lot of these communities, truthfully, aren't, are, you know, it's not just transit deserts that they're suffering from, it's medical, it's food, um, it's cultural deserts, right? So I think it's really important to, to connect this city uh, and all the people that are a part of it in, in an equitable fashion, right? Because just because, you know, I could get, I could leave my apartment and I could walk a block anyway and I'm hitting a bus or I'm hitting the rail, uh, but that's not everyone's, um, you know, reality. And I think it's important to have accessible public transit. And, and I think that leads to us not being as car dependent city, which is, you know, a plus when it comes to you know, the horrific environmental impacts that we might see um, with being more being a car dependent city. So, uh, yeah, I would say equitable transit would be a big thing. Mm -hmm. And then before we close, we're doing our little show and tell activity, get to know a little bit more about our candidates. What's your item for us today? Uh, when you when you mentioned it, you had, you had said it, something that that means a lot to me yeah. or has played a factor. So. I can't show everything, but you could see the you could see the chair I'm sitting in. You could see uh -huh. the shelf in the back, and then the desk that I'm that I'm using. It was my dad's. My dad passed away nine years ago, uh, and after he passed away, uh, we kind of, um, you know, he was a physician. He was an oncologist, but you know, we had to remove everything out of his office. So I wanted to to keep his stuff. Uh, it obviously uh, very much is a is something that just means a lot to me because. 
one of the last conversations I had with my dad before he passed away was about not going into medicine anymore and, and going into another line of work. And I think his encouragement uh, and his support meant a lot to me. And, you know, if he was the candidate, I think he'd be a, a hell lot better of a candidate than I am. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm running to make sure that uh, everyone in this city has a fighting chance, but I'm also running uh, for him. And that was Zoheb Zokadri. Next up, let's listen in on an interview I recorded with Linda Guerrero. I'm here with Linda. Let's let's just get right into it. Who are you? Why are you running? All right. I am running for a couple of reasons. One is to foster community values. And another is that my family has a legacy for standing up for equity. And I want to continue that legacy. Um, I've, I've been uh, working in my neighborhood association for over 25 years. I served as a... Um, uh, executive officer. We have had two major uh, negotiations and I was asked to represent my neighborhood on both those negotiations. We also had a situation where there was a potential take on our Hancock golf course for uh, building housing about eight or nine years ago. So we're sort of always under threat as a, in a sense. So we keep a close watch on what's happening. Then I have been asked by uh, board, uh, been on boards and commissions for the past 20 years. I served on the parks board. I served on the bond oversight commission. You have a lot of environmental experience um, in our community. If you were elected, what would you want to prioritize um, going forward for the council to work on when it comes to environmental issues in particular? One thing that came to my attention was there's something called tree ghosting. And what is happening at these larger developments is that they're being surveyed. Then over the weekend, a heritage tree will completely disappear. And so this is a huge problem because there's something in place. You can mitigate for a heritage tree. You can get approvals depending on if the tree is sick. There's a process that citizens worked and residents worked so hard putting together so that we could do both. We could protect trees and be able to move forward with major development. <clears throat> so that's really difficult right now that the that illegal cuttings are happening. It's called tree ghosting. So I would really want to bring some attention to that. We also, before I left the Environmental Commission, we uh, put forward the um, Climate Equity Plan. Mm -hmm. And that's to try to get more sustainable buildings. It's to get community input. You know, East Austin has less green infrastructure than West Austin. And we need to look to see how we can start filling that area with green infrastructure, because a lot of times East Austin was zoned for industrial right next to residential. So mm -hmm. to me, looking and pushing forward that equity plan for the communities and trying to prioritize that would be very significant and important to me. I, I want to talk about housing for a little bit. Obviously, this is the big issue on everyone's mind in Austin, affordable housing. Um, if you were elected, what do you feel like city council can be doing differently 
in order to increase the amount of affordable housing we have in our city, both like subsidized and also just general market rate affordable housing. I think the bonds that are uh, out there floating right now to be passed is a good step, you know, for restricted income housing. But I also believe we need to look at more land trusts so we can bring in houses that people could be in that are families. Because with the mixed use, what happens is that, okay, let's say we're going to do a residential mixed use. 20% of that is allowable to become a short-term rental. So we're at one one point we're saying, okay, we have this need for housing, but to me that should, that percentage should be reduced because if we're really needing housing, we should not be allowing that percentage to go to short-term rentals. Also, AUDs are great. Uh, AUD ADUs ADU sorry uh, ADUs can be built in the backyard however here's the problem like I spoke to a neighbor a couple weeks back he doesn't use it because of the taxation the taxes would be so much that it wasn't worth using it as a rental property and the ADUs also are being short-term rentals I don't know if that's something you could look in, you know, part of this, a lot of people say, let's, you know, let's create new policy. My thought is, look, let's look at policy that's not working, Hmm. see how we can make policy better. You know, Mueller's a great example of, of, of a really great development, multi housing, affordability to a certain extent. It was much so then than now. We need deeper affordability. We need to lower the MFI to at least 60. 80 is almost market, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those are the things that we need to really relook at. And then the other thing that I would like to see is to allow MU, multi-units, to uh, in mixed use that entitlements be upgraded. Like let's say there's already, someone already has the right for commercial. They wouldn't have to do a zoning change. Let's give them the ability to upzone so that they could provide more uh, mixed use. If it's already, yeah, if it's already a zone commercial, change it into multifamily or allow for mixed use, right? Exactly. Give them that. I worked for four years with the other neighborhoods around me. We got some marching orders from um, council and they said, UT needs housing and they need an element of affordability. So for four years, I worked with seven other neighborhoods, the businesses, the students, the, you know, the fraternity guys and gals. And we came up with a model where we had a step down, we were able to work with neighborhoods, we were able to give like green barriers, and it's turned out to be a great model. So I know it's very possible to continue to create this in our city. You know, we talked about housing, we talked about the environment, you know, real quick, what's like one more priority that if you were elected, you would really want to focus on and spend time on? You know, I fostered the, I started and made the movement to amend the parkland dedication fee. Mm. 
One thing that I think would be fabulous is if we could find a permanent funding for parkland so that we're not tied to the city budget. And it might be just a portion of it isn't tied to the city budget, and we could get some other means of a streamline to come in to support our beautiful parks. That is quality of life. That is green infrastructure. That is what we have at least done so well is our park system. However, when I said on the Bond Oversight Commission, the deferred projects, the deferred maintenance is through the roof. Mm -hmm. Got to find another way to come in and support those budgets. Right. And then before we close, let's get to know you a little better. What's your uh, show and tell item for us today? This is my grandmother's plate. And to honor her for all the delicious cookies (laughs) and cakes and, and all the great conversations. Like I can remember when I was a little girl, when I'd go sleep, spend the night with her, she'd wash my hair in rainwater. Wow. She had saved in buckets for me. And so to honor her, I have all of her plates um, hanging on my walls. Very cool. Yeah, I'm looking at a plate. It's like painted with roses. Very cool. And your family has been in Austin for a long time, right? The the Conley Guerrero uh, Activity Center is named after. Yes. Is it your father? Uh Uh-huh. They they uh, Mrs. Conley was a black activist in her community. And my dad was an activist in the Mexican-American community. Council said, let's split the baby. They're both worthy of this recognition. And then later they named it the Roy G. Lower Colorado Park. And that's also named after my father. Wow. A a lot. We've been standing up for what we called injustice around the table. It's now morphed into equity. And that was Linda Guerrero. And that's our interviews for today. And don't forget, we also published an episode focusing on the mayoral and district three runoff elections. And you can find that episode in our podcast feed. As always, we'll be releasing lots of guides on social media leading up to this election, so make sure you're following us at the underscore Austin underscore common. And that's pretty much our show for today. Don't forget to vote. You gotta leave.